I'm looking at our notes from the episode that never actually happened during lockdown. And one of the notes was, how the fuck is the US Open going to work? But it worked. It actually happened. It's pretty impressive. I mean, some sports started to come back and it started to feel a bit more like when, as it was coming up, uh, it started to feel a bit more like it could possibly, like it was going to happen. But when they announced it, I thought there was absolutely no way there was they were going to be able to pull that off. I'm pretty impressed in the way they did it. Yeah, they, um, I mean, like originally they were only going to, the players were only going to be allowed to have one person traveling with them. But the like, thing is, the, the way to make bubble sports work is to put them in a bubble, you know? Like, and they actually just, all these players were, you know, on site, basically locked down. They did have that one incident with the French players. Um, yeah. Kind of funny. Slash unfortunate. Yeah, that was the whole thing, wasn't it? Where did, no one knows where Benoit Paire got it from or where, or how he how he got it. Because no one knows, do we even know if he had it when he arrived or did he get it in the States or did he like go out of the bubble? Or, we don't really know any of these details, hey? Yeah, exactly. He like, he definitely, he tested positive, I think during quote unquote Cincinnati. Um, and, but that's like on the same site. So yeah. he must've gotten it elsewhere. I guess, you know, Benoit Paire's a man about town. And yeah. you could see like, like all the French players apparently like hang out with him and play cards and you know, they're all, so they were all, they were in the, the double bubble, the bubble within the bubble. Yeah. Um, Cause once he tested positive and there was like a whole thing like they almost disqualified Manorino. Yeah. Because the, the state wanted to throw him out. It was really wild how it got close really it was wild. to yeah. apart. And I think Djokovic ended up talking to like the health official of New York to be like, come on, what are we doing here? Are we going to cancel this match? Or he like he jumped in and was on the phone for an hour before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because he was getting all this great press for that. It was like, man, this guy is obviously busy. <laughs> like, he's, yeah. He's got things that he needs to be focusing on, but he stepped up for just, you know, another player to make sure, you know, make sure they could stay in the tournament. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was like this brief moment where people are like, yeah, like good on Novak. And <laughs> then... Well, you know, I've heard, I've heard that that's, um, you know, perhaps his downfall as well, that he, he had so many things that he was concentrating on that he wasn't able to concentrate effectively mm. in the match. like. He had a match that day that he was when he was dealing with the health officials. Mm. Um, yeah, that's right. So, you know, it's a big toll to be doing that kind of stuff when most players would just be focusing, you know, getting a massage, you know, getting into their mental zen state. Yeah, and instead, like, Djokovic is, like, on the phone with the governor's office, you know, <laughs> like, working his way through, like, a bunch of, you know, automated phone menus. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> trying to trying to reach the governor. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was really wild. It, you know, and just hearing some of the details about it, you know, it was like one of the counties of New York decided that, like, because their hotel was in that county, that they it was just just bureaucratic nonsense. You know, and it was like just let the dude play. Like it's gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and then there was a, um, I think Guido Peya was not very happy about. Um, well, he got. I think he wasn't allowed to play in the Western Southern Open because yeah, that's right. One of his team tested positive, but he didn't. I think, and so that's he right. was his trainer tested. Yeah, and so when the French one was happening, he was like, "Well, how are all Benoit Paire's close contacts 
given the okay now, but I wasn't allowed to play last week when I, my close contact was positive. He was like, "Where's how does this how does this line up? Where's the fairness here?" You know, he was get, he was yeah. He, he kind of got screwed a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it because it was also like they kind of speculated that it was a false positive. You know, it was uh, like only his trainer tested positive, and he got like a dozen tests, and nothing came back. And yeah, it kind of feels like he got screwed a little bit. Yeah. So Matt. Um, like, have you been, uh, did you get to watch a bunch? I know Alex and I definitely have both watched a lot of the, the tournament. Can I still be a Tennis Tragic member, card-carrying member? But I, yeah, I, I, didn't, mean, I didn't watch that much tennis. I've just been so busy with the course I've been doing. Definitely, like, I, I followed highlights and and more of the intrigue around, you know, like the, the different stories. I didn't watch whole matches or anything. I just didn't have the time, unfortunately. I, sometimes you just can't pay as much attention. Um, so, you know, I'm not revoking your membership yet, but... <laughs> Great. Thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm I... putting a little warning on your, on your, uh, on your file. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I think that's appropriate. I, uh, I'll accept that. Okay. Um, I mean, you did dig up this great tennis art that, uh, that I know you're, you're eager to tell us about. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been in the parallel worlds of tennis art and playing my own tennis. So. Mm, um, you're still playing? You guys playing together? Uh, we, yeah, we did a training session on Monday night. Where, and nice. I revealed to Alex that now I have a two-handed backhand instead of a one-handed. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best reaction to that. <laughs> Good, good, solid Aussie backhand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is it is a lot easier for me, and it like takes like I was really sore in the right arm, so now I get to you use a lot of your left arm in the two-handed backhand. So mm. it makes sense for like a health balance kind of reason. Yeah, you got to consider that. So how did you get like? How did you feel about watching the tennis without crowds? Like, how did that? How how did you feel about that, Alex? You watched a lot. Um, it, for the most part, I didn't mind, but it's just it was kind of strange on some really big points, like a really big rally, and then someone does a running yeah. running passing shot or something, and and it's just it's just like any other point, but real in reality, it would be. 40 seconds of it in crazy cheering and it would really make a difference but um so I missed that that felt a little bit strange right. and and especially when uh you know it was coming up to a really important point like a break point or something and there's you can feel the tension in the air and there's a lot of cheering before they serve and all that sort of thing I, I did miss that but for the most part for like for the for most of a match I didn't really feel it too much 
Yeah, I I agree. Like for the most part, I was just really loving the tennis, and I don't I don't think the quality of the play suffered at all. Um, if anything, I kind of feel like play was really steady and high quality. I mean,、mm. people weren't you know people are locked down. They're not they, you know they're not going out.、Um, there's no distractions. That you know there's there's fewer distractions compared to usual.、Mm. Um, but yeah, there were like there were times where it felt weird to me, like. Um, the final, especially, but I mean the final. I thought the men's final, the men's final, the women's final was really good and, and interesting.、Um, but the men's final was just like kind of a terrible match for four sets, where two guys were just like basically trying to hand the match to one another, and、um, like the level was so poor. It was really surprising from team, like how nervous he was because he was just the clear favorite and he had been playing amazing. I mean he it, he deserved to win the title. But the the level of play was really poor, and then then the fifth set got interesting, and it got really tight, and they were like trading breaks, and that's where the crowd would have really brought、yeah. life into it, and it just yeah, I just noticed the absence. I don't know, did, I don't know what you guys watched on in terms of feed. Did, did you have fake crowd noise in the matches? Um, yeah, I did notice it coming. Um, yeah, I was noticing it coming in a little bit sometimes because I was, I think I was watching probably the same. As you for like for most of the centre court matches, it was McEnroe、okay. and McEnroe and、um, and someone else I can't remember who, but it was it was it was the、um, um, yeah I think it was the like ESPN yeah I think it was、American. ESPN yeah it must yeah. be yeah、um, yeah yeah they were but yeah I did notice the just... crowd noise but it was seemed to be it's so hard to I feel like it's harder to put in crowd noise in tennis than it is in other sports somehow because it just didn't. Quite feel right at the right points, or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think part of it is maybe you're right that part of it is just the kind of the tenor, like the way tennis, you know, it's very quiet and then it gets a little bit louder at times. But I felt that that they were first of all, I felt they were inconsistent. Like some matches, they would just have it off, and some matches it would be on. But when it was on, I felt like sometimes they were. It was like they they had an intern program the crowd noise machine. So because there were times where like you'd have a serve and then a return into the net, and it would be like yeah, like really big applause. Yeah, exactly. And then you'd have like a like a twelve shot rally, and it would just be like、mm, okay. Yeah, exactly. Like、um, it was cheering. It was cheering unforced errors and stuff that usually a real crowd、yes. wouldn't do. Yeah. Yes, that in particular, cheering unforced errors, which is I mean that's like a real. Serious like tennis tragic style etiquette thing, but like yeah, you don't cheer an error. Like, yeah, it's just. You know, I love that about tennis is the way that you know the crowd's usually knowledgeable and respectful and、um, doesn't talk between points, doesn't cheer the unforced errors and cheers the good efforts by both players. It's like,、um, which is why yeah, like.、Uh, Ultimately, crowds—it's got to be maybe not so noticeable on television, but for the players, I reckon, and the atmosphere on court, it's got to make a difference. Yeah, like it definitely in other sports I've been, I've was was watching during the during all of this,、uh, the crowds definitely added a lot to the TV product.、Um, but yeah. yeah. And I think it would be it would suffer without the artificial noise. All these other sports we're talking about in Australia, AFL, and some of the football and some、mm. of the、um, soccer or, or in Europe and England, that definitely needed it. But tennis, yeah, they just couldn't really work out when to cheer, and it was just a bit like, yeah, it was just a bit awkward. Because I, I, I can imagine how you'd feel if you if 
you did an unforced error and then just artificial crowd started blaring out cheering you'd be like come on what, who's doing this who's the team are you on are you yeah. trolling me here like, yeah yeah I just, I think part of my disappointment is that I can imagine a way that you would stage a tennis tournament without fans that would feel like really theatrical and intimate. Like, I found it really, it was interesting that they had to do this largely in like the most gigantic tennis stadium ever built. I mean, Ar like Arthur Ashe Stadium is like a spaceship, it's ridiculous. And, but I, you know, I thought like, why not like put up some curtains or something, like make it feel more enclosed. Hey, you know, yeah. and, and like, and you know, like really, like uh, you know, work on the lighting and just you know, make it feel like a special event. Like if you turned it on, you thought to your, you should think to yourself, this is different. And I think that the NBA actually is the only league that has really properly done that because they're like in a tiny gym and they have these walls of fans, like kind of you know, Zoom calling in and like actually watching and actually responding to the game. And they do yeah. a good job with the crowd noise, and it feels like a special event. Um, but tennis, it's like, oh, here's like a giant empty stadium. That was pretty good that they did the sweets, the, put, repurposed the sponsors' sweets to give to the seeds. I like that. That was a good vibe. Yeah, to, to me though, that was like, right, and that was sort of an unintentional way that the, the thing felt unique and different. Mm. Like all, like you would have players watching other players' matches all the time. Yeah, Zverev with his shirt off on. Yeah, right, yeah. Zverev like just relax lounging there with his shirt off or like Patrick Moritoglu like struggling with like a chicken bone or something. You know, like there were <laughs> there were moments uh, that to me were very iconic from this US Open. Uh, just seeing seeing the players, you know, tuck into a wrap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have sushi sushi delivered. Yeah. So that was like one of the lasting images for me. Yeah, totally. So anyway, Novak got defaulted from the US Open. Are we really gonna skirt around that issue? No, I guess that, was that the biggest story of the US Open? By far. Yeah, yeah. It's the one that got, that got just primetime news coverage outside of this, you know, outside of sport, basically, outside of the sports section. Yeah, right, it was the crossover story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. Um, so what? So what happened there, Alex? As our resident Djokovic expert. Yeah, it's no secret that I'm a huge fan. Um, uh, so he, who was he playing again? He was playing oh, Pablo Carreño Busta, and so yeah. him, I think it was at the end of the first set, and he just got broken to lose the first set, maybe or something like that. He just got broken anyway. Um, yeah, and he, no, he and had three. He, points to win the set he yeah three set points and then yeah. he lost all of them yeah okay yeah oh wow i didn't realize that and then so he had the last point that he lost he had served and he still had the second ball in his pocket and as he was walking back to his bench he took the second ball out of his pocket and just kind of as he was walking away sort of hit it around his back harder than he usually would but the same as anyone would it back into that corner, but definitely harder. And it was on the full; it, it, it hit, hit hit the back of the court rather than hitting the floor. But it happened to hit the line umpire in the throat, and she went down and was in a lot of pain. And it was 
uh, all very dramatic, and Djokovic went over and was trying to help or whatever. But she was she was she was in shock and in pain, and and then yeah, and then so the umpire came down and the supervisor came out, and there was all sorts of discussions. And at first, it looked like Djokovic thought nothing really was gonna come of it too much with his demeanor, but as the conversation went on, he's face got a bit more serious and his voice lowered and he could see what was sort of coming and then uh, there's some clips going around where you can hear the conversation a bit more and the, the referee, uh, the supervisor was sort of saying, I think at one point he sort of said there's he has two options here, sort of saying it's like a default or I don't know if the other one is like a warning or a penalty. But then as the conversation went on, the, um, the re- referee changed what he was saying to saying like, oh, there's no, there's, I don't really have an option here. There's only one thing I can really do. And Djokovic was like, well, you just said you had an option. Like, you, you know, and so anyway, huh. the, the end of it all was that they, they, he got defaulted from the tournament. Yeah, they, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that about him being like told that maybe there was an option. Because um, I, I feel like maybe there's some revisionist history going on with some of the like tennis voices that I listen to, but I feel like they were. I keep hearing like clearly he had to be defaulted because it just is the rule and it's it's unambiguous and whether or not you think it's fair, that's just the application of the rule and like that that really the ref uh, was just kind of letting him express himself and maybe like asking some questions like you know. I don't know, Novak, were you trying to hit her? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what that conversation actually would have entailed, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just so obviously an accident, and I think that's, that's part of what makes it kind of sad. I mean, whether or not you, you are a Novak fan, it's kind of a bummer that the tournament would lose its top male player because of something that was really just unfortunate. I mean, it was unfortunate for everybody. Like, nobody really benefited except for maybe Pablo Carini Busta and... Dominic team, yeah, and uh, Sasha Zverev, like yeah. the rest of the players. But other than that, like the the audience, the sport, um, you know, I think it's just it, like no other sport would have that severe of a penalty. You know, like like holy cow, like he lost the potential to make millions of dollars, and just for one accident, it's massive. I watched it as it happened, and then I watched. Um replays and I try to get different angles and I couldn't really tell but I I do not think it was an int- intentional I do however believe that you know like if you're playing tennis for that long you you do kind of know where people are and okay you know she, I don't think he intentionally did I think he just hit it towards them but I don't think he thought oh it's gonna hit someone and hurt them um, but I do, you know, wonder, she wasn't really paying attention, <laughs> so, um, I can see how it did hit her in the throat. I don't think she, I think she would have flinched and moved had she seen him do it. Yeah, she just, her attention must have been somewhere else. I mean, it, it's totally not her fault. I mean, the, the ball the, probably traveled from the racket to, to her body in, like, less than a second, so if she was just distracted for a moment, you know, um. Do you th- do you think that, question, do you okay. think that had she watched him do it and move, like had it come closer but she moved, do you think they would have still disqualified him? Because no. it still states in the rule that you're not supposed to right. hit anything towards a lines person or um, no. I, I, the they umpire. Definitely would not have disqualified him. And see, that's, that's my problem. So? 
No, in fact, he did something similar earlier in the match. He like I hit know. a ball over towards like a bunch of like cameras, and you know, and this is happening all the time in other matches. Like the day before, I was watching um, Zverev play um, uh, Corentin Mute. And Mute like was just getting his ass beat, and he was really frustrated. He took he took a ball and just like launched it into space, and then took another ball from the ball and launched it again. And you know he was obviously not aiming anywhere there were people, but that's that's in the rule they talk about like you know like abusing the ball or like blatant disregard for the you know the health of others, and there's just this weird squishy language about it, and. If Novak had just hit the wall a foot from her face, it, he would have gotten a warning and they would have kept playing. He did that interview um, a few years ago at the French Open when he broke his racket. Okay. I remember. And they asked him about it. They said, like, does it concern you if you, you know, were to hit someone? Right. Or, um, like, what would, what would, what would you do? And yeah. he, I remember him blowing them off like you guys are crazy. And and they were like, why is it so hard for you to, like, why is that unbelievable? And he said, um, you know, I just, you know, you guys are always like picking on me or picking up, like, up on things that I do. Right. And they kept saying, if you, you know, if you keep doing them, what happens if uh, one day you hit someone, it'll cost you dear, dearly. And right. he just kept saying, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not close to doing it. And there's, and he just sort of blew it off. And then he's, I remember him saying something like, it could have snowed in the arena, but it didn't. And I, he just doesn't care. Like you're saying, he has no empathy. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, I remember the, it ending and they said, you know, um, I remember him just saying it was an issue for him because he had done it before. And it wasn't the first time he had done it. <laughs> it's weird to me when you legislate the outcome instead of the behavior. You know, it's like, hey, if you don't want players smashing balls, you have to stop them from smashing balls. Because if you don't want them smashing balls, it could be because somebody might get hurt. Um, because otherwise, it's just kind of random, and this is going to happen every few years. It happened to Shapovalov a few years ago when he was coming up, I think, a Davis Cup. Yeah, you know, he, just, did, he hit got the a little piss and, yeah, smashed the ball. It hit the umpire in the head. It was pretty dangerous because he was up in the high chair. I think that umpire got seriously injured. Yeah, he, his eye socket was broken. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, so if you want that to stop, defaulting people when it randomly happens every five years is not going to make that happen. Yeah. And then after that happened, like... I can't remember what match it was, but um, uh, maybe it was Shapovalov, like in the next round, like, you know, like he kind of got mad and smashed a ball and it just narrowly missed the line judge and the line judge gave him a little thumbs up. <laughs> you know, like, like it, it, it didn't actually change anybody's behavior. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of agree that, um, well, there's, uh, I got two things here. Um, one is that, yeah, it should just be an, a rule that you can't hit the ball in anger. And there is that rule, but it's a different penalty between... Right. And they don't enforce it as much when it doesn't hit somebody. You're not, you're not supposed to. It's the rules not to hit the ball in anger. But they're going to penalise you less or not at all if it doesn't 
cause damage. Yeah, it's usually just a warning. Like it's like it's ball, ball abuse, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so, but then, you know, there is something that I like. The fact that the officials and the other people, you know, are treated as very important. You know, you're not allowed mm. to yeah. hit them. Like, um, and like, that's, that's a good thing, you know, safety and respect. I like that the, the players aren't, you know, if you, if you hit a, a ball kid or, a, or an umpire or even somebody else, um, that's a bad thing, but it does seem like um, such a severe penalty to be defaulted for an accident like that. Do you think it has anything to do with him wanting to unionize? <laughs> they were like, you know what, it's fine. Get him out of here. We don't care. <laughs> I mean, it, this this particular rule may have cost Novak Djokovic like $3 million. I mean, forget the, the slam count thing. You know, he has to give back all the money he won. He gets no ranking points. Like, it's an extremely high penalty for a mistake. You know, so like the, a union could negotiate for that sort of thing. Like, like they have the power to be like, hey, that's not fair that like somebody, somebody, you know, this happened to Denis Shapovalov a few years ago when he was really yeah. young. He hit an umpire like and got defaulted. And I think it was, I don't know, it was Davis Cup. It, was, it wasn't like a for money situation, but it was really, it's kind of a big deal. And I remember he was devastated. <laughs> Yeah, you like Dennis. I, I think just letting your own team down is probably right. most of it, especially yeah. for a younger person. Yeah. But part of me thought, had he not announced his new union, I wonder if they would have, maybe they would have given him a warning. I'm uh, not sure. I see what you're saying. You think that maybe the tour was like, you think you're going to organize? Like, we're going to take yes. you down. That's a good yes, conspiracy theory. Uh, I, like I know. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? And they they planted somebody uh, as a lines judge. And she, you know, like if you if you get the right camera angle, you can see her move into the path of the ball. They said, just don't look at him. Don't pay attention. It'll come. To, it'll come to you. I admire Novak for trying to do that, but I don't know why he thought that would work by excluding all of the women. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> um. <laughs> well, but the, but you got to understand, Maritza, that, you know, women will eventually be allowed in. You know, the men, True. The men will say, like, okay, women, uh, we could have some token women around. We like women. But wouldn't you want more people in your union to be more powerful? I don't know. He just... He just always misses... He just can't quite get things right. Yeah, he doesn't. For me, he doesn't quite read the room, and he like it's funny how what a bad year it's been for him. Like we're like going back to his like COVID charity tournament. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you follow that shit? Yeah, who did who did team play in the semi? Uh, um, oh, it was uh, Medvedev. How can I forget Medvedev? Oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Daniil, um, that was a pretty f- 
funny match that was not really um all that, that was straight sets wasn't it it was straight sets. There was a kind of this funny thing that happened because like we had a little bit of a Daniil blow up because the umpire made a terrible call. Like the, it was getting to oh, business time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Like Daniil. So th this is like a classic umpires are weirdos moment. Like Daniil served the ball and the ball was clearly out and, but it was returned and like Daniil tried to challenge it, but the umpire decided that it was too late. And I like Dominic team to his credit was like, let him let him challenge. Like like he knew it wasn't it wasn't fair. And this is on break point, uh, on on Medvedev's serve. So Medvedev is just like, what the hell? Like, you know, like why can't I challenge? It was it was obviously an issue and what it came like a second too late. And then he like goes over to the other side of the net and you know, and he's talking to the, the referee for the tournament. So what what did I do to, to get a call? What did I do? Crossing the net. How do I to Danny? You know that. Ah, uh, yeah, sorry. I, I, I think I killed someone, right? No. Sorry, I was so bad to, to cross the net, sorry. My apologies, my sincere apologies to you, Solomon, for crossing the net. Oh my god. Oh, we got okay, but my sincere back. apologies is... to you for uh, crossing the net. My sincere apologies, ref, for crossing the net. It's okay? It's okay? It's okay? And, uh... And then he went on and lost the match. Yeah, he was like, I, I sincerely apologize to the US Open for crossing to the other side of the net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's like another like really stupid rule. And maybe it's the rule. I mean, maybe there is even a good reason for it. But it's like it's that like single minded adherence to the rules and without any accounting for like a reasonable emotional response. And, and also the umpire made a judgment call that shouldn't have been made. I really like Medve Medvedev. Yeah, I love Medvedev. I mean, he like. I like really you, like. <laughs> did you follow the whole thing? His like his story last year, like from when he was oh. basically the wrestling heel, and like the whole audience was, you know, was against him in this match. What's that? I, I'm obsessed. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Because that was awesome. I don't... That was like really, like really juicy. I thought great drama. I. What's strange is you would think uh, the U.S. Open crowd would embrace that, you know, because but I just don't, I, you know, because Wimbledon isn't really built for that. Like if that would have happened in Wimbledon, like if he would have done that, maybe the Australian Open, but he's not, it's not like Novak bad where you're just like, God, please just stop. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, well, I mean, it all started with him being like really openly shitty to the fans, like he was flipping them off and, you know, like really egging them on. And I, you know, like the one thing is I do think a New York audience is much more likely to just like embrace the booing. And so they were loving it because of that. They were loving to hate him. And, you know, it, but it's so funny that he just like turned the whole thing around with his run. But he's so endearing. Yeah, like, like once you, can, you listen to him, yeah, I find him very, like, I find him, you know, he's, I think he's really super bright and, you know, he's just like a weird, skinny, nerdy Russian dude who plays video games. Okay, here's where Daniil's got to take a question from a fan. <laughs> if you could be a professional in a sport other than tennis, what would it be? Um... I would try to be a soccer player, but I don't think I would uh, I would succeed. So uh, I think I could succeed in uh, in cyber sport, uh, 
computer games, I'm not bad. So that's it? Just one question from one guy? I really am into his, I don't, you know, I just really like to play tennis, but I like to do all these other things, but I also don't want to be a jerk. So I'm sorry that I was, which I really like because he apologized in the moment and he didn't take to Twitter or whatever else people use to apologize. He just, I don't know, I really like that about him. Yeah. I enjoy watching him. And I miss yeah. watching Tomas Berdich, who, was, yeah, who right. I thought was like such a dork. <laughs> you were such a Such a dork. You're like all about the Euro style. So everybody is like all about Hawkeye Live now. People are like, we, like, every, the line judges are just fucking everything up. And as much as I love the pageantry, I don't know, I kind of feel like that's No, line judges forever, but I feel like COVID is going to kill that. I'm down with um, it. Bring in Hawkeye Live. I'm so on board with it completely. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're also like anti-towel boy. I know that that about you, Alex. No, I'm not anti-towel boy. I'm anti like them using it after every single point for a whole match. So I've been <laughs> right. loving what's happening at the moment, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I I wonder how it affects the speed of the matches. Because they have to go, they just have to be very mindful and like go fetch their towel. Yeah. I like the towel boy thing because, I don't know, it's just like a little more human interaction. You know, if yeah. you remove everybody from the court, it, I feel like it gets too quiet, but... Obviously, they could get their own towels. Or, like, I think, um, I can't remember who it was, maybe Kevin Anderson. I think, like, he wore, like, a little tiny, like, gym towel. Yeah, the old school versions. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. And bring back, like, headbands and wristbands, you know, like, just be prepared to sweat. Totally. I was, I was in, I was into that little, the little hand towel thing that he had tucked into his shorts. That was cool. Um, but definitely, I think (laughs) it's sped up the the matches. Not, they're not all using it after every single point, and points are just, games are just going ticking through a lot faster and I'm, I'm into it I think it's a good vibe uh, yeah yeah okay there's a great through line in the film the Paul Bettany Kirsten Dunn's film Wimbledon where yeah. um, the main character he has this ball kit that's sort of um, likes him and it becomes his lucky charm he like ends up working on each of the matches <laughs> And like, you know, so these, these nice cute moments where like, it's a big point or whatever and um, the ball kid gives him the towel, gives him a wink and, you know, like those kinds of towel <laughs> kid interactions, I think. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that, that can be like cinematic or whatever, you know. Right, but it, the reality isn't like that. In reality, the players are like largely indifferent and they basically act as if the kids are robots. Yeah. It was the US Open was also funny though because it wasn't they weren't ball kids. They were like ball men. Well, the state I feel like the states always I feel like they always have slightly older <laughs> ball people. I don't know what it is. I always I, notice that it's only when it goes to the states there's like a there's a ball man that's always there. I, I didn't see him this time, but he's like in his 40s or something running around collecting balls. Uh, I like it. There's no discri- no age discrimination there. They're just like, yeah, if you want to be no a ball ages. person, get, in bo- get on board, you know? <laughs> I think I'm a lot more likely to make it as a ball man than I am as a line judge. No, yeah. Yeah. Give me a bit of fun. Got, I, I refereed that one match between you guys and <laughs> it did not go well. 
<laughs> it was like my was my your... mind just wanders, you know. It's your first match. You you trained to be a line umpire. And that's that's fair. Thank you, Matt, for having faith in me. The Australian ball kids got to be the youngest. They're so young. Yeah. They're so young. Yeah, yeah it's so. true. Yeah. Yeah, I love all the like you know the little ticks, the way they um you know the way they direct them to communicate with their arms, like you know extending their arms and holding out balls and putting their arms behind their back and like the whole the whole dance of it is so satisfying to me. That's why we can't get rid of the line umpires. What's really bothered me over the years is when they uh, berate and just sort of throw or yank the towels from the towel kids. Right. Have you know? Have yes. you ever noticed that? I have seen I, that. I think that yeah. is so abusive and gross. I've yeah. seen them pull it, throw it at them like they're yeah. their servants, and yeah. I don't know why there isn't a warning given to them when they do that repeatedly. Because I also think, well, these are children, and also they're not getting paid, and I just think it's so gross. Yeah, I agree, and it's just like it's super unnecessary. Like I like. That, that I like having the towel and ball kids out there. Like, I think it just yeah. it creates a little bit of this atmosphere, like it's theater, you know, that it's more of a show. And I, but I just, yeah, like when, when the players, I mean, cause you know, they're just, they're just getting hot. They're just focused on the match. They're not thinking about other people. And some people have, you know, have a history of doing this, like Medvedev, who's playing now, like Medvedev, just, you I've know. seen almost every single player do it. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, so it's funny because Alex, you know, my one of one of my uh, co-hosts for the tennis tragic, he uh, he's like all about the towel rack. He's like, let's just get towel racks. Oh. Like, just let them get their own fucking towel, like normal human <laughs> beings. <laughs> like, and uh, I don't know. I don't want to lose that. But I, I look. I think if you want the players to behave better, you have. This is the thing. This is my, my big point about all this shit is that I think. You have to, if you're going to legislate, you have to legislate behavior, not outcome. Like, the yeah. behavior has to be, like, the behavior of smashing a ball, either either you're okay with it and you're going to accept that sometimes, like, hey, somebody's going to maybe get hurt and people need to be aware when they're on the tennis court. Or um, you need to legislate it more, like, that be, you know, or you need to say that that's not okay in, like, any circumstance. And if you smash a ball, like, you're, you're getting, and it doesn't hit anybody, you're getting, like, a, a game penalty or something very severe. And then nobody will ever do hmm. it again. And, you know... Yeah, a game penalty would be... Yeah. I mean, I guess you could fault him, like... Hmm. I don't know. I don't actually mind it when people smash a ball, like, you know, and it goes straight, you know, above their head but I don't know I don't I don't want it to become more controlled but I also yeah. would just hope that they just wouldn't do it or they could apologize after I don't know they just you know they shank it here to sometimes and they apologize but I don't know I would I don't know if I would penalize them with a point right I, I yeah, I, I know. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think that's necessarily the better solution. I just think that, like, if you're creating a situation where once every five years somebody gets defaulted because they accidentally yeah. hit somebody, um, I mean, it, it's just, it's not good for anybody. It's not good for the sport. It's not, if they were paying fans, like, if I paid to go see that match, like, oh, God, bucks, I would be like, so I'd be so pissed. I'd be like, are you, like, this is this is the great this is the best player in the world one of the greatest of all time I want to see him play, like 
you know, he made a mistake. You know, that's that's the thing. If it's not, if it's malicious, like if he was mad at the ump and like, or at the line judge and like walked towards her and then threatened her, like you throw him out of the game for life, you know, but it was just a mistake, you know, and. Yeah, I don't, I don't even fault him. I mean, he made a mistake. I don't think it was intentional. I really don't. Did you guys watch the women at all? Because there were great uh, women's storylines uh, and matches. The semifinals were excellent. Um, yeah, what were the semis? So the semis were, um, was that Vika and Serena? Vika and Serena, which I loved. Yeah. And then Osaka Brady, which I didn't love as much because um, it was, you know, a quieter match, a very well-played match, you know, like very clean. Yeah. Um, but that, that also means like not a lot of breaks, not a lot of drama. Um, and but Serena Vika was like electric. I loved that match. Yeah, I love that too. I was um, I went away for the weekend down down just a couple of hours outside of Sydney, and uh, as we were driving down, that match was on. So I was in the passenger seat watching it, and it's just just going off. And the person driving is like, "What? How, what are you watching? <laughs> why, why are you yelling? Why are you yelling at the screen every five minutes?" <laughs> Yeah, that was a match where I didn't feel like the absence of fans made a difference because both of those women are just like not afraid of letting you know how they feel. And um, yeah, just great, great energy. And like, I don't know, Vika's comeback. Did you see? I don't know if you guys saw today in Rome, Azarenka beat Sofia Kennan 6 love, 6 love. <laughs> yeah, Whoa. did you see that? Yeah, she's on fire. Yeah. It's amazing. She loses the US Open final. Which was kind of heartbreaking, actually. I, yeah. I really wanted her to win because yeah. I, I think Osaka's going to win like ten, and this might be it for Vika. But then again, she's just like, "All right, I'm hopping a plane to Rome, and I'm just going to start killing people on clay now." <laughs> like, it's crazy. Uh, it's wild what's happened with her. I have the news on in the background muted, and I'm just seeing. Uh, apparently, they're renaming the Fed Cup after Billie Jean King. Did you know about that? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. I mean, what is the Fed? The, why did why was it called the Fed Cup? Yeah, I don't know. Like a federation. Oh like yeah, what probably. Federation was Different it? nations coming together. Yeah, um, yeah, great opportunity to honor one of the legends. There's yeah. been a lot of talk about the, the original nine. I guess that the nine women who signed the first ever professional contract for women to play tennis. Mm. Um, of the, and of that group, Billie Jean King is you know is the the most famous. Yeah, totally. by a long shot. Yeah. Was Margaret Court one of those women? No. She was not. Anyway, Billie Jean King is a legend and you know, like I think they signed a contract for one dollar to play. And you know, now you have the win the winner of the US Open, Naomi Osaka walks out with a three million dollar check. Yeah, I think it was something like um they for them to have a voice or for, or for some for some Thing that was going to be beneficial to the cause, they needed to be counted as a professional tennis player, and to be a professional tennis player, you had to get paid. And so they just they just said, "Well, give us a dollar each, so we're just technically a professional tennis players, and we can we can push this across the line." Yeah. 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 Very cool, and it's cool to see them getting recognition after the fact. There was a match. 
that was like a total blowout. I think it was, oh, it was when Team beat the crap out of Alex Dimonora. Um, oh, yeah. And Patrick McEnroe was calling it. Um, oh, as yeah. The, as the courtside reporter. Went for a walk, didn't oh, he? you watch this one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he literally, he literally like starts climbing the steps of the stadium. Yeah. He's like, let's go see what it's like at the top. <laughs> it's so, it so disrespectful, man. Like, it's like, yeah. I mean, I know that was not the best match, but some of us would like to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. And then he was like, oh, it looks like team's about to destroy him. I'll make my way down now for the interview. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor Demonor. That was a great, I mean, a great run for him, getting to the quarters. Yeah, yeah totally. what happened there? Like, do you, I mean, like, obviously, team was playing great, but yeah, team, just... team happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was playing. Team, team was playing good, but team was just team was on monster mode. I didn't see the final, but you're saying he didn't play so well then. But during, up until then, he yeah. was in absolutely crazy form, dominating. I was like, wow, he's, he looks. Yes, he looks amazing. Yeah, he looks like he actually belongs with. Novak and Rafa right now. Yeah, like he's that. He's at that level. Like every part of his game is solid, and um, yeah, he 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 looked fearsome against other people. Even like you know Medvedev. I mean Medvedev was up a break in the second set and the third set, mm. and couldn't hold it. And team was just too tough for everybody. But then the, yeah, the, the final was wobbly. And I don't know. I mean hopefully now that he got that first one. Um, you know, maybe that maybe the next final he's in will be really good and competitive. Yeah. You know, kind of like the, you know, the last couple finals he's been in. So we'll see. It was just a it was a weird thing. I think like not playing one of the greats hurt. You know, it's like everybody thought he was going to beat Zverev. Nobody believes in Zverev, no matter no. what. Um, How, who did Zverev so. beat in the semi to get there again? Do I can't remember. Uh, Karenia Busta. Oh uh, yeah, see that like he. I feel like yeah. it, Zverev should not have been there because apparently his match against Charic, yeah. I didn't see as well, but everyone was saying that Zverev Charic match was absolutely terrible from both of them. They were just like these. Both of these people are playing on such a poor level. Uh, it right. was just painful to watch. So he did played that poor match and got through because they were both playing bad. And then he played Karenia Busta, who, sh- who argue- arguably shouldn't have been there because of the Djokovic default. And then he ends up all the way in the final. It's like, how, how is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> Sh- Shapovalov should have beaten Karenia Busta in the quarters, which was a really great match, actually. That was good, a really yeah. entertaining match. And, um, but, and again, and also Pablo was playing at a really high level for Pablo. I mean, that's his ceiling, right? Getting yeah. to a major semi. He's never going further. But right, he was up two sets to love against Zverev, who looked absolutely terrible. And yeah, it just seems like all the matches Zverev is in were miserable. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and yet at the very end, when they got to the fifth set tiebreak, I was like, like I want Zverev to win this because it just would be so unexpected yeah and he's you know I don't know I think he's gonna get there but I, I don't know I don't I don't know if he will um, like I, I hung out with some friends uh, a couple days before the final and my friend Callie said to me um, oh I've been watching and I, I really like Zverev and I was like what? Really? <laughs> like, uh-huh. um, but you know, and then I thought to myself, like, I don't like Zverev, but I, you know, I've been watching him for years and he's been disappointing and that's just my perspective. And what if I rebooted, you know, like what if I never heard of Sasha Zverev and he was like just bursting onto the scene, you know, so much of it's about the expectations. Yeah, um, true. But 
I don't know. I don't really like him all that much in general. Yeah, enough to reboot even. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I don't know. I, I think maybe like maybe in my head because sometimes I do turn around on players. Mm. Sometimes I don't like them. Like even Med Medvedev, you know, I really, really disliked him at first. And he just won me over at a point. Now he's one of my favorite guys on tour. <laughs> yeah, me too. It really was the wide open slam, like the the big two and ended up being the big three were eliminated, were, weren't, weren't factors in the end. And, um, and then like a few other players and then plus all the the no crowd, like maybe, you know, puts a, a more even keel for everybody because like you don't have the usual like players that um, thrive on the on the crowd and the the um, you know the difficult nature of like a big tournament. Maybe that kind of even things up a bit because there's less less stress and tension by the the big crowd atmosphere. Hmm. So. Yeah, and a lot of players just didn't travel because of COVID, so it was a real big opportunity. But in the end, it was just yeah. it was the next, the next best player that we maybe thought was you know that had been to a Slam final a couple of times in Dominic team. Like he probably is the next best player after the big three, and he's not really next gen either. Like he's no. he's twenty seven now or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, but he'd like. I think he was the second oldest in the quarters behind Pablo Carreño Busta. You know, a lot of young guys went deep, but I do I do think that all that did largely have to do with the fact that a bunch of people stayed in Europe, you know, and didn't come over. Yeah, for mm. sure. Like it wasn't it wasn't just Djokovic going out. It's like, yeah, well, Rinka like sat out. You know, Rafa didn't come. Yeah. Like, you know, that stuff made a big difference for these younger guys getting through to the final stages. Yeah, I wonder how Varinka was feeling looking at looking at the draw fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there definitely was, or, or Rafa even. Yeah, you know, I mean Rafa's gonna probably finish with twenty five slams, you know, when all is said and done. Yeah, uh, twenty five Roland Garros. Yeah. Garros when he's like sixty two years old. <laughs> it's gonna be real gross. I saw this a video documentation of a work by Chidam Ademir, who's um, an Australian artist um, of Turkish descent, and she's a Muslim woman. And so she did this tennis-related artwork um, in Melbourne in 2018, where for every time the internet tweets something about terror, a ball machine um, in Argyle Square of Melbourne would over an eight-hour period, return a tennis ball out of the machine, and she would have to she would have to hit it. It was the trigger, just like the word terror in a tweet. Was it? It was scanning Twitter. Or? Yeah, ex exactly. So, and you were saying what what was the frequency at which she was having to strike balls? Like uh, on average, every fifteen seconds or something like that. So over eight hours, she was just there in this like traditional, wow. um, head to toe white old school tennis um, outfit, and then. And she trained for this, and she was like saying, "This is what Muslims have to do all the time, experiencing this um, kind of their 
response supposed to be responsible for every terror act in the world, so so we have to like kind of return these tennis balls. Anyway, I just saw the the video documentation of the work and um, it was yeah, it was intense and beautiful and um, provocative. It was at um it was at a show in Parramatta called Sports Show, and they had a lot of different artists looking at um having like little unique hot takes on on sport yeah i was wondering why it was um why she chose tennis as the medium for that particular message you know if you have any insight into that obviously like if it was part of a show that was specifically sports centered that might be part of it yeah well it i mean it's included in this show in Parramatta, but mm. it originally it was just done it was for an arts festival I don't know why she chose tennis, but it makes sense the way you have to, you know, thwack the balls away. Like you've got a rack, you you've got your racket, and that's kind of your defense for these balls being fired at you, which in which represent the the kind of attacks, the racist attacks that you might experience as a Muslim woman. Right, like a ball being shot in your direction. It like requires this immediate response, you know, like, and it just comes out of nowhere. And the, the timing of it—it's not in the—it doesn't—it's not in the context of a game, you know. You're not hitting a ball back and forth. It's just suddenly out of nowhere. You have to be on the defense. Yeah, that's that's what she was saying. It's like you don't get and you don't get trained for this, you know. And it's it's like you just because you're wearing the burqa. Um, or a headscarf, or that you're, you know, you look like you come from the Middle East. Suddenly, you should have the answers about terrorism in the world. So, hmm. quickly, tell me why? Why is this happening? And then you, you got to respond. Yeah, cool. You should definitely go interview this woman if you can. It'd be cool to hear her voice. Um, but I, I looked up the page and uh, some pretty, pretty moving photographs. Yeah, it's cool. I'm, all, I'm always on the lookout for the way tennis can intersect with the arts. And this is a very clear example. Yeah, it's funny. At one point, Matt, I think you, you suggested that I like follow the Instagram hashtag tennis art. Mm. Is that did I get that from you? You do that? Uh, I do that. Yeah. It's funny because I've never I've never followed a hashtag before, um, and it's just you just find these random random artists like making paintings or videos or animations or like illustrations. In usually it's pretty straightforward. Like, oh, this person is a Novak Djokovic fan, and they drew a picture of Novak Djokovic with Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> which is really funny to me. Um, but you do you do occasionally, like, just following that hashtag in this very passive way, like, occasionally you will come across something uh, unexpected. I'd like more tennis art in my life. Hmm. Me too. I love the um, the covers of Racket Mag. They're always, that's really, mm. they always have beautiful covers. I'm totally going to be that old man with like a room full of tennis posters and random covers of old magazines. Like I have the first edition of Racket and uh, yeah, it's a really beautiful cover. But yeah, like I think you I think you shared an image from, I don't know, it was like Life magazine or some, some old American magazine cover and it's like an, an illustration of people playing lawn tennis. I find tennis to be very aesthetically beautiful just inherently like the, the shape of the game and the the lines and the, the curves or oh, the geometry the geometry yeah the geometry of the lawn 